passage of Scripture. We're going to begin reading in verse number 11, uh, Titus chapter number 2, and verse number 11. The last four weeks in Sunday, on Sunday mornings, uh, I have preached primarily on the issue of salvation, and I believe Brother Tully, in the middle of all that, also preached, uh, gave us five weeks preaching on the topic of salvation. We've had a number of folks that uh, have been visiting with us on Sunday mornings, and uh, we want to make certain. I I wrote a letter to a friend of mine the other day and uh, shared the gospel with him in the letter at length. It was a rather lengthy letter, and I told him, I just poured my heart out to him. I said, because I consider you my friend, I want to make sure that you know these things. And... uh, I said, I'll be praying for you and offered to talk with him, take him out for a cup of coffee. And uh, we get burdened for folks. And um, as I was uh, doing some reading and studying this week, I uh, came across this passage, which I've read many, many times in my lifetime and uh, have known it for a number of years. But some things from it just really kind of struck home with me in light of some of what we've preached on recently. And I want to try to be a help. I know this is the Wednesday night crowd, so I want to try to be a help to us on some things because we've dealt with the grace of God recently extensively. And I want us to look at some things because the grace of God does more than just bring salvation to us. And uh, so we're going to take a few moments tonight. I'm not going to focus as much on the fact that it brings salvation because we've dealt with that so much. But I want us to see what else the grace of God does for us. So let's look in Titus chapter number 2. And verse number 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, and so we all know that, we understand that, from Hebrew, from Ephesians chapter number 2, uh, that uh, it's by God's grace that we're saved. We understand that. So, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to what? To all men, not just some. Every person in the world is aware of, whether they like to admit it or not, there's been a point in their life where they have been aware of the grace of God. They're, either that or the Bible is, is lying to us here in this, in this portion, and we know that that is not the case. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's why a young man that claimed to be an atheist sitting in a hospital room in South Carolina can come to Jesus and say, I want to trust you as my Savior. He understood. He knew these things. And uh, it says that it appeared to all men, and teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. We find in verse number 12, not only does the grace of God bring salvation, that's the first thing that it always does. The grace of God brings salvation. By the way, have you ever thought of this? You cannot experience God's grace without without having some understanding of the fact that He loves us. The very fact that God gives grace is dependent upon Him loving us. Because grace is getting something that we do not deserve. And one of the greatest expressions of God's grace is that He extends mercy to us when His holiness demands a payment for our sin. 
I'm thankful that He can extend mercy to me. And He does that not because I deserve His mercy. He does that because He loves me. And that's what we call His grace. He gives it to me because it's not deserved. It's given to me because of His love for us. You cannot divorce the, the grace of God from the love of God. It takes His love to motivate the grace. And very, very important that we understand this. So the first thing that we understand, and we know this, is that the grace of God brings salvation. It's appeared to all men. We know that. It has uh, been made apparent. You say, well, Brother Greg, what about somebody who doesn't uh, ever hear the, the Word of God preached? You know the Bible tells us in Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Uh, the Bible teaches us that nature itself beareth witness to the Creator. The very fact that people have, are, are, are uh, conscious and if their, their minds are developed enough to understand and have understanding, then they are able to understand that there is a God in this world. They're able by that to understand that God loves us. There's no doubt that they can understand that God is merciful. Because if they understand the true nature of humanity, there's no way that God would tolerate humanity without Him being a merciful God, without Him being gracious God. So it's very, very important that we understand that this salvation has appeared to all men. But then he says this. Paul's teaching Titus here. And he says, teaching us. So what else does the grace of God do? First of all, it brings us salvation. Secondly, it teaches us. What? The grace of God teaches us? Yes, it does. I'll tell you one thing it taught me of. It taught me of His love. When I looked at God's grace, I understood that He loved me. But notice this. There's some things that... It teaches us. It teaches us to deny some things and to live for some things, to do some things. Let's see what these things are. Verse number 12. God's grace teaches us, the Bible says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. These are the things we should not do. And you say, well, why should I not do them? Because of God's grace. Well, what about His grace? Because He loves you. You know that this is offensive to him. You know that this is something that grieves his heart. So we don't, we don't abstain from worldly lust, and we don't live a life uh, above reproach. We don't live morally because we have to, because God's Word demands it. We live morally now as Christians because we love him, because he, we understand that he first loved us. We understand because of his grace it has taught us that since he has given us this wonderful gift that we did not deserve, called salvation, then out of a love for what He has done for us and a love for Him, we ought to abstain from these things and we ought to not live ungodly or unrighteous. And He tells us here that we should not, uh, or that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Those are things we should not do. And, uh, you know, a lot of the world puts a focus on, well, I just don't like it. God gives a book of rules and I have to do this and I have to do that and I can't do this and I can't do that. Can I tell you this? When we love God the way we ought to, that ought to be our desire anyway. So much so that Paul says that the commands of God, I think it's Paul that said this, the commands of God are not grievous. His commandments are not grievous to us. We, we, we do them because we love Him. I think it was Peter or John that said, uh, this is how you'll know uh, that you are uh, uh, have eternal life. Or that, uh, see if I, I didn't mix up here. I uh, got, the, got the verse in my mind and can't quote it. Uh, that we know that we love Him because we keep His commandments. There we go. And I'll have to get the exact phrasing for you on it from Scripture. 
But that's one of the ways that we know that a person loves the Lord is because they keep His commandments. Not because they have to, but because they get to. It's something we get a joy out of doing. Something we enjoy doing. We love doing it. Why? Because we've learned it. We've learned it from His grace. That we're to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Then, then what should we do? If we're to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, what should we do? What is it teaching us? What does His grace teach us? Well, His grace teaches us that we should live soberly. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't ever have a sense of humor. God, I believe, even has a sense of humor. But it does mean that we are to live with eternity in view. There needs to be a soberness of mind. We need to understand the condition of man. We need to understand the salvation of God. And we need to understand the need for every man in this generation to hear that message. And there needs to be a soberness about us. There needs to be a watchfulness about that. That we're to be walking around looking for the people that need to hear the gospel and sharing it. By the way, can I tell you this? You don't have to look real far. Not in the world in the day that we live in. They are all over. Opportunities are rampant. The fields are white already unto harvest. And so we find that um, this grace of God teaches us that we're to live soberly. It teaches us that we're to live righteously. Once again, not because I have to, because I get to. I want to do things that are pleasing to Him. Uh, I remember as I grew up and I was a kid, uh, there was a point where uh, I would get whippings because the only thing I understood was uh, I was disobeying and my mom and dad had to give me a belt to help me understand that. And uh, I obeyed for a lar- large part of my life because of fear and because I was made to. But you know, there came a point in that life where I began to obey mom and dad not because I was worried about Dad's belt. I was big and strong enough that that belt really, you know, it was a few seconds of pain and that was about it, and it wouldn't do a whole lot to me. But I'll tell you, the last time I ever got a belt from my dad, I broke down and wept, not because of the whipping, but because I knew I'd broken my dad's heart. I started obeying my mom and dad because I loved them. Can I tell you, the day that that happened was the greatest day of my life. One of the wonderful times that I learned something. Because I learned that there are times that we obey God simply because we are trying to be obedient to Him. But oh, the joy that comes when we begin to obey God because we love Him. Oh my, what an amazing thought. And the grace of God teaches me this. When I understand the love of God and the love that He has for me to give me His grace, it teaches me this. It helps me to understand that I am to live soberly, and righteously. I'm supposed to live in such a way that I can point men to Christ, that men can look at my life and say, there's a Savior, there's a God in heaven that has a moral and a righteous character about Him, and there's a fellow who loves Him enough, he's trying to emulate Him, he's trying to be like Him. It ought to be said of every Christian that we live righteously. I'm not saying perfect, but we ought to have a desire and a drive to live righteously. Not to, not to get as close to the world as we can get. Not, not to just get right up to the edge of what's wrong and then not step over the line. I'm talking about just loving Him enough that we say, I don't want to try to get as close to the world as I can. I want to try to get as close to God as I can. I want to try to live as much like Him as I can because that's my heart's desire. I'm not just trying to stay away from the world. I'm trying to get close to God. It makes a big difference in the way we perceive things in our Christian life. I fear that sometimes a lot of our preaching is uh, trying to be separated from the world. And very little is 
drawing nigh to God. I think there ought to be separation from the world. Don't get me wrong on that. Don't, don't cut that part of the tape out and just use that quote. I think there ought to be separation from the world, but it ought to come because we want to draw nigh to God. It ought to come because we're drawing near Him. Well, how do we learn that? The grace of God. The grace of God taught me that. I didn't used to think that way. By the way, neither did you. Grace of God taught us that. It didn't just bring us salvation, but it teaches us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The word godly just means to live just like God does. Be Christ-like. Have a God-likeness to us. Not that we're trying to be a God, but we're trying to meet His character. We're trying to emulate Him. You know, the Bible teaches us, I think it was Peter that said, that He left us an example that we should follow in His steps to be like God as much as we possibly can. That ought to be our heart's desire. Paul put it this way, that we were to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what the mark was? You know what the goal was? You know what the finish line was? To be like Christ. Philippians chapter 2 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to be as much like Christ as we possibly can. This is what grace teaches us. So not only does it bring salvation, but it teaches us some things. And I want you to notice this, verse number 13. It causes us to live in such a way that we are looking for, and we're living our life looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. The grace of God taught me this. To be looking for His coming. To be living every day with the fact that He could come today. He could come right now. I'll be real frank with you. It causes me to come under conviction when I think of the fact that Christ could come at any moment. It causes me a couple of things in my life. It causes me to look at my life and how I'm living. Am I going to be ashamed? Am I going to be embarrassed if Christ came back right now with what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and what I'm involved in? It causes me to consider those things. It also causes me to consider how many people have I come across their path today that do not know Him as their Savior. That if He were to come back today, right now, that I would be responsible for getting the gospel to them. It brings conviction to us, doesn't it? It causes us. The grace of God teaches us that He brings salvation. It teaches us that we're to live in a right way. And then we ought to be out here looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. When we look for God's return, it's going to affect our life and it's going to affect our labor. It's going to affect both of them. We're going to live differently and we're going to labor differently. We're going to begin pursuing after the things of the Lord. We're going to begin taking His Word and and sharing it everywhere we go, trying to find the opportunities. So the Word of God, the grace of God, I mean, teaches us these things. Now notice here, as we get on down, uh, we find the three things that the grace of God does. It does more than salvation. It teaches us how to live. It causes us to look for the glory superior of our great God and Savior. Then he goes on to say, verse number 14, who gave Himself for us, the Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, and uh, there's some, uh, some unique things here that it speaks of about Christ giving Himself for us. And I want to share those with us, and then we'll, uh, with us tonight, and we'll go. The Bible says, "...who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity." We know that one, right? And, and Paul, in teaching Titus these things, is just going to kind of wrap all that we just talked about up in this one verse. "...who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us." That's salvation. From all iniquity. And then purify, notice this, not only does He redeem us, 
but he purifies unto himself a peculiar people. Now, notice this. Um, there is a salvation. There is a, can we use the word sanctification here? A purifying. Let's use that one. That word It's the Bible word here. There is salvation. And then there is the purifying that God does in our lives. By the way, you don't, you don't purify to get saved. You get saved and then God does the purifying. We get saved, and he's re- he says in verse 14 that he's redeemed us from all iniquity and purified unto himself. So there's a purification that goes on, and that deals with the way we live. Notice he says this, a peculiar people. When we live the way we ought to, I'm not saying we've got to go out here and be eccentric or, or you know, off our, our basket cases mentally, but there ought be something peculiar about a person who has the Lord Jesus Christ residing inside of them. When people look at them, there ought be something that you can look at and say they're different. They are peculiar. They're not like everybody else. There ought to be something there. That's the purifying that God does. He redeems us. He purifies us into a peculiar people. By the way, you know when He gets done purifying us? When we graduate to heaven. Until then, He continues to do it. Some of us have been saved a long time. Some people just a few years. Can I tell you this? God is in the process of each and every one of our lives purifying us. Different people are at different places along that, that, that journey of being purified by God. And some go faster than others. But we're all progressing, or ought to be. And so there's a peculiarity here that, that he speaks of that comes from the purifying. And then he says this, zealous of good works. Can I tell you, I think this is one of the great secrets of the Christian life. There are a lot of Christians that go around and there's no excitement, there's no zeal. Um, they've been saved. They may be slowly going through the time of God purifying them. But there is a zealousness that ought to come. You say, well, where does the zealousness come from? Where does, the, where does this, this um, excitement to do what's right come from? It comes from looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. When we look for His return, it causes us to be zealous, excited about, enjoying the good works. We, we, we begin to see those two things that I mentioned a moment ago. That my life, because He could come at any time, needs to be in such a way that it's pleasing to Him that I'm not going to be ashamed when He comes. And secondly, I need to be busy sharing the gospel with people when He comes. Can I tell you, that will give you a zealousness when you live with that in view. When we live every moment of every day with the idea that there is a work to be done, there's a purifying that God is doing in our lives. I'm thankful I'm not what I used to be. I get excited sometimes when I see where God has brought me from. But I am not nearly as excited as where I'm going to be when I get to be what God wants me to be. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning when God does something more in my life to draw me closer to Him. And by the way, you ought to be too. When we live a zealous life with eternity in view, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, 
it causes us to have that zeal, that excitement about us, that fire burning in our hearts. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, at one point got frustrated because the children of Israel were not listening. And he said, I will speak no more in his name. He said, I'm not going to do it. He said, but it was shut up in me, in my bones. He said, I couldn't contain it. He said, I had to tell them. Can I tell you this? There was a zealousness. Why? Because Jeremiah understood. He knew some things. And can I tell you this? We need to be looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Can I tell you this? God can come back tonight. What have I done today? Did I live today in a way that was pleasing to Him, that when He comes back, I don't have to hang my head in shame? Did I live that way today? Did, did, I, did I take advantage of every opportunity He brought my way today to share the gospel with somebody? Or if He were to come back tonight, would I have to stand there embarrassed? I'll tell you this, when we look for the blessed hope and the glorious spirit of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, it gives us a zeal. It gives us an excitement, something to look forward to, something to labor for. And it will change our life and our labor. This is what the grace of God does after it saves us. It teaches us these things. It causes us to be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Savior. And I hope that we understand this. That salvation is not the end of the Christian life. It's just the beginning. The moment we get saved is just the beginning of a long journey of God doing some things in our life that are very, very exciting. There ought to be a growing in our relationship to Him. There ought to be a growing in Him purifying us, cleaning some things up in our lives, causing us to live in a way that is pleasing to Him, and then looking for that blessed hope. So I hope that will encourage you tonight and uh, cause us maybe throughout the week to think on these things. The grace of God does so much more for us than just our salvation. And I'm thankful that it does. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You're blessed and use it. And Lord, uh, dismiss us with Your blessings tonight and with safety as we travel uh, back to our homes. Bring us back again on Sunday. And Lord, may we in between these times be looking for that blessed hope. May we be motivated and may we have a zealousness of good works to live a pleasing life to You and that we would be busy uh, telling others about You. Throughout this week, Lord, would You give opportunity? Would You bring it across our path? Dismiss us now, we pray with Your blessings. In Jesus' name, Amen.